Welcome to Safety Spectrum, your environmental health and safety connection. This program is a presentation of the Michigan Safety Conference. For almost a century, the annual conference has provided credible educational opportunities and valuable support for the safety and health practitioner by offering 120 instructional programs, along with exhibits highlighting the latest in safety equipment, instrumentation, and demonstrations. To learn more about the conference, please find us at MICH, M-I-C-H, safetyconference.org. Welcome to Safety Spectrum. I'm your host, Sheila Eide. This program is sponsored by the Michigan Safety Conference, and our topic today is tracking the elusive safety professional with their guest, Michael Eckert. All industries are facing a difficulty finding qualified employees, and I kind of think the safety and health professional has its own unique challenges. Our speaker, Michael Eckert, is over 25 years as a safety practitioner and holds certified safety professional, certified safety and health manager, certified authority on workers' compensation, and emergency medical technician designations. Mike has extensive experience in risk control services, leading teams providing safety expertise and loss prevention services for major insurance companies. He also serves as, served as Director of Safety and Educational Services for the Michigan Road Builders Association. In his, his spare time, he spent 25 years as a firefight, part-time firefighter and EMT and currently serves as Administrative Fire Deputy Fire Chief. Thank you for joining me today, Mike. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've hired one or two people in your time. Just a few, yeah. So what are we talking about when we mention the elusive safety and health professional? Well, you know, a complex topic, and you know, I've been fortunate actually to speak on this at a, even a couple of national conferences, uh, even before the trends that we've been seeing over the last last year, really, um, or a year and a half with the pandemic. But I probably the the message I would want to get across initially for for anybody who's listening is that um, somewhere um, around us, nearby or far away, um, there's other interviews going on for podcasts just liking this, talking about the staffing and talent shortage and fill in the blank industry. And so we're not only anymore just kind of competing for safety professionals and, and however we get there, which I know we'll talk about, but you know, we're competing against everybody else and uh, for everything. And so it's, it's very real. I think three, four or five years ago, some of us were sounding, um, you know, the warning sirens that, that we saw this coming and that, you know, again, not even knowing that, that this pandemic was going to have an impact, but we saw a lot of the talent that was retiring. We were losing tons and tons of institutional knowledge. Um, and I'm not sure that our backfill strategy as an industry has been as good as it could be. Well, that's true. It seems like, uh, it gets less and less, more, less universities seem to be offering the safety and health uh, programs that we really need because we need professionals. This isn't something you just pick up walking by. Uh, why is the recruitment and retention so important in the safety world? Well, you know, again, I think it's like any other profession. And, and, and to your point, I, you know, there are certainly, uh, we have programs in the state at, at some universities and colleges that are outstanding to actually, you know, train and, and develop and educate people for this as a profession. But I think we all know, probably you and I included, Sheila, that we kind of stumbled into this one way or another, right? It wasn't like in high school or in early college, we said, hey, I'm going to be a safety person. 
And so I think that maybe that's a little bit where it, where it starts. I think we need to have that conversation. I know at the safety conference, we've done some work in that arena. It's not just at the college level once people are in programs, but we need to start having that conversation um, during the high school years with folks just to get them interested and let them know what this profession is, is about. Um, you know, we, we need people. And, and we're going to, this need is not going to slow down. Our gap is going to continue both on just a number of people, but again, that, that, that gap that we're losing on institutional knowledge. I mean, every time one of these folks retires, you're a great example, although I, <laughs> I don't think you've ever officially retired. You know, we lose 30, 40 years of experience, right? And you just don't snap your fingers and get that back. So um, I think that, that we need to constantly have this dialogue. I think that we as a safety community really need to work on this together collectively and, and, and have a strategy towards it. I think different factions of the industry work on that, certainly. Um, but I think that the more that we can do collectively, um, again, a, certainly a commercial for the conference, because I believe that we are uniquely qualified and positioned to be able to do that. Um, and, and so we need to talk, I think, to, you know, at that high school formative years. But we also know that a lot of professions end up moving into this profession. So we have some folks from healthcare disciplines. We have certainly people from different business and engineering professions, um, emergency services, right? There's, there's a litany of things where people then just kind of find their way into this profession, trades, um, certainly on, on the construction side. So um, we need to certainly continue to look at those and keep you know, cropping people out of those those areas um, and, and get them interested in this. Um, but I certainly, again, think we need to even go back further. Um, and talk about what a great profession this is and what a rewarding profession this is. Well, it's kind of hard to describe what we do. Uh, if you ask somebody, what do you think an industrial hygienist is? They think it's somebody who teaches you to wash your hands or something that are a sanitation worker. And it's interesting that you mentioned the trades because when I worked at Michigan OSHA, we had consultants and enforcement officers that came from the trades. So they looked at a construction site. They knew that they were looking at it. So it isn't that we always have to have a college trained person, though it does help. There's so many nuances to the safety world, safety and health, but to understand the work itself. And as, mm -hmm. and as how do we talk to high schoolers? You know, how do we explain what an interesting, fascinating career this is? I never would have known about it. As you pointed out earlier, people kind of got drafted into the position. So we do not do a good job of describing what it is we do. Yeah, you know, and I, so some of the trends we see in recruiting, and I think we see a good number of articles that come out, you know, daily articles on things like LinkedIn and things like that, that we can pick up on what's important to people in careers. Now, they want to work for companies that are socially aware. They want to work for companies that are diverse. They want to have rewarding work. This is very, very rewarding work. Um, this is not to cast anything against other professions. So I want to qualify that, but there are, you know, positions that I've either been in or see friends in that do stuff. And I'm thinking, that's great. You make a lot of money or you get the victory of doing a sale or you get, you know, whatever it might be. And anybody who is out and working and loves what they do and, and are, and are out doing what they do, you have my immediate respect, but there are days I get up in the morning and go, how do those people get up in the morning? How are they really, really motivated? Cause, cause we get up and we have bad days and we have down days and there are days that we don't know if we're having an impact or not, that we have existential angst, right? That we uh, not sure, you know, if we are, but in the end, we know. 
and then then we get those victories and those victories are so sweet so i think there's i think we need to kind of tug at that piece of it a little bit you know the other thing is in in, in myself and somebody who's you know very long-term actively involved with the conference whose name i'll leave out you know it very personal right you know lost family members lost um they, you know had somebody who had a significant workplace injury um, or something that happened and you know a little bit you know we work with with kids chance now right those are kids that have had family members or parents that have had some sort of workplace accident I think it's a good conversation to have with them because um, you know if you if you start this thing off from a passion play um, and that their folks are very very passionate about wanting keeping people coming home every night and coming home all put together at night um, boy that's a great place to start that's a that's a great hook you know that's a great way to motivate and manage uh, to get people in. The other thing that I would say about this profession, by and large, um, you know, I've spent probably the majority of my career now on the insurance side, but this is fairly um, recession resistant, our profession, N not always, not all places, everything else. Um, certainly safety people get cut when organizations have issues like anything else, but by and large, there's usually still a pretty big need and, and sometimes even in hard times, it becomes more important because you can't have economic losses related to, to injuries and accidents either. So, um, so that's one thing I like to talk about. I you know in a pre previous position I held um, for a decade where I had a team of over 40 across the country. One of my proudest things is I never had to lay somebody off in, in, in that whole decade. And, and a lot happened in that decade. Um, but I was very, very proud of the fact that we were able to structure things so that I never had to make that call to somebody to do that. You know, that's interesting. You raise a point. I mean, it is two points. It really, I want to address is the self-motivation. It is difficult in the profession, safety and health profession to motivate yourself. You don't get the pat on the back, the accolades, you, but you also have to be able to talk dollars and cents. Of course, for young people, the passion is about saving lives or sending people home. And that's what we all believe in. But it's also being able to show the savings that come with having a professional on staff that can read the standards, can mitigate the hazards, uh, take care of things. So I think it's even more critical to have safety professionals these days as, uh, with the age of inflation and you know less, less employees. And what's kind of scary is we're doing a lot more with a lot less people, which mm -hmm. eventually you end up doing everything with nothing, which we'd always kid about. But it seems like that in the safety world, often you have a lot of responsibility, but not the authority. So I'll, I'll go off script here a little bit, but who do you think the safety personnel should report to? They're often assigned to HR, but who do you think they should report to? Yeah, you know, it's organizationally driven, the age-old question. I think we know how we all feel, right? We want to, we all want to report to the president. Um, and I would say that, you know, it's a little bit organization dependent on how complex it is. You know, it may have multiple locations. It may be uh, multiple divisions uh, around and about, but obviously as high up as possible. I don't think that most of us, it's probably a bit of a professional pride thing, like to think of ourselves as a sub HR function or even a sub operations function, really believe that it should be positioned um, as, as really a, an executive leadership type of position in organizations. A lot of organizations can and are able to do that others just can't um, sometimes you have um, folks that are to your point wearing a lot of hats 
So um, they are, you know, the, the safety person, but they also have three other titles that go with that, that then positions them elsewhere. Um, you know, I know in the insurance industry, speaking from that a little bit, oftentimes we, we, we I found even in previous roles that I've had where, you know, kind of where do you put the, the risk control or loss control function within uh, there? And oftentimes it's under underwriting or it's under business development, sometimes under claims when, you know, ultimately I would say that it's parallel to those and it should be really reporting up to the president. Mike Eckert's opinion, um, and <laughs> I think I share it with a number of people because you know we we wanted to have that equal footing uh, that everything else does, and in part of it is we want the respect of that, but I don't think it's as much that it's um, that it's a personal respect thing as it is a professional respect. Well, no, we because want you that can get things done if you right. if you have a relationship with engineering. You can't be an engineer and everything else, but if you have a relationship with them, safety should be able to walk in any department and get the expertise, get the help that they need. That's kind of where I'm coming from, I think. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, I would say the other thing is related to titles, right? So um, it's always kind of funny when you have the conversation about titles, what titles should be. You know, I've, I've been a vice president uh, before. I'm going to be a vice president in the new role that I'm going to. Um, I've had a title coordinator, director, champion. I think I've had every title that's been out there, right? <laughs> But you have to look at the organizational structure also. It's one of the things that I first look at even when I'm, when I'm talking with organizations or even with my personal involvement, which has been, uh, how important do you want this to be here? Because if I'm a step or two below people that are even below the president, right? And you want me to go in there and be able to have an impact and have influence and, and, and frankly, have some juice to get things done. Um, if I'm two or three levels between the, below those people, I'm running to you all the time getting things done anyway, because they're not going to listen. Um, I, I say that tongue in cheek. I don't mean to that, for that to sound negative. I'm just saying it's not necessarily going to have that priority there that that other people that have that is possible. So, you know, one of my fam famous sayings, you know, um, you know, where you sit says a lot about where you stand. And so, um, you know, sometimes where you sit on that org chart uh, can really, really make a critical difference. So you think it should be a direct line on the org chart? Because it usually is off to the side. And mm -hmm. I, when you talk about what they're called, I, I've been called a pain in the, well, <laughs> neck more than one. <laughs> we all have. We, one of them was, uh, we always had so much fun until safety got involved. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of things that they can, you know, like uh, detrimental publicity. You know, you have a bad accident, a bad incident, uh, destruction of property or equipment. That works badly against you. There, if there's ever an accident that happens that everybody knows about, it's in the paper and, you know, it, it works badly against the company. So the, the safety person, they, I don't think they even realize the impact sometimes they have on everything that goes on with their company. Perhaps the company doesn't understand that as well. Yeah, and you know, the age-old question, Sheila, right, for our profession, the difficult thing is show me an accident you prevented, right? We measure all these lagging indicators. Um, it's been our challenge since I walked through the door in the profession, and, and, and sure, same as you, I think we'll be having this conversation decades from now also, right? <laughs> while, our, while our leading indicators, I think, are getting much better, I think that there are certainly some impacts that, that we have seen. I can name it like on one hand, although I know there's a lot more, uh, where I actually think some interaction that I've been involved with has actually prevented something. Um, those are very, very, very satisfying. Um, I, I had a construction worker approach me once at a training program and I trained it the previous year and he came up to me and he said, you saved my life. And I didn't know who the guy was. And he said, I hit power lines fall on my truck um, doing a job a couple of years ago. And prior to hearing your training last year, I would have stepped out of that truck. 
and I'm sure I would have been electrocuted and killed. And, and you rarely get that kind of feedback. I can't, that, I remember that conversation from probably 15 years ago, because sometimes they're a little bit rare that we get something that direct. But if my career ended tomorrow, I'd be okay having one of those. I, I understand there's a satisfaction in realizing that you made a difference. And often it's those offhand remarks that just make you realize what you're doing is very important no matter what. And then there's the failures. There's the times when somebody is horribly injured or there's a fatality. You never get past that. You never, but you just try harder. The next day you pick yourself up and you go back in. So what do you think has caused the lack of uh, people going into the safety and health professions? Yeah, I think there's a couple of factors at work. I certainly think that just an awareness of the profession, to the point that you made earlier, Sheila, spot on, right? I mean, we just need to get out and talk about this as a profession above itself, not the accidental profession that we often have become. Um, and, and, you know, we've all kind of stumbled into this indirectly, or a good number of us have. So I think that's really where, where, where we need to start, because I just don't think there's a full awareness of that. I think once you get in... Um, into the profession um, is actually having some folks that are newer in the profession talk with with others that may be you know looking for career choices or career decisions so that so that they can look at it and figure it out. Um, the other thing is really talking about once you're you're in the growth opportunities in there, the rewards that are intrinsic as well as you know financial. It's a good living. You know, in, in, in most in most operations and most things that get get done, it's it's relatively secure, uh, you know, secure as things can be in these this day and age. Um, you know, it's in it's good, consistent, honest, hard work. I also think something that's really attractive about this profession is you get to deal with so many other aspects of, you know, if you're inside four walls and you're a safety director in a plant, right, you, you get to deal with your point, you know, engineering and maintenance and HR and operations and just everybody, vendors, right, um, transportation, all those things. If you're in the construction side of the business, you get to be out and about. You're not locked in an office. A lot of people like being locked in an office. You get to be, you know, one day. You know, I've experienced this. I'm going to be doing this again in the future. You know, uh, I can't tell you the number of days that I got a pair of dirty, muddy boots in the back of my truck and blue jeans and got a suit hanging in the back and got to make a costume change midday because I'm going to an important meeting, you know, in the C-suite. Uh, but I've been out schlepping around on a construction site earlier that day. I mean, there's some really fun balance to that. I can speak a little bit to the insurance loss control profession just because I'm very familiar with it. But that's one big draw to folks is that, um, and I think really from the from the OSHA side or just the consulting side, which is one day you can walk in, you, maybe you're on a construction site, the next day you're in a nursing home, the next day you're in a manufacturing operation, next day you're doing a trucking transportation operation. Um, we, uh, I've talked to a lot of people that, that worked uh, previously for me in the loss control side. They said, if you like the TV show, how is it made? You'd love this profession because you get to see so many different things. So one of my first clients made lint rollers. And I always thought that was just kind of funny that I had to go in and learn how lint rollers were made um, <laughs> and then learn the safety aspects of it. They knew how to make lint rollers. I had to learn about that operation so that I could apply safety expertise to it. Um, and so I think that can be a very, very big draw if we craft that message Absolutely. appropriately. It's, it's dynamic. It's dynamic. And like you say, when I worked at OSHA, I got to go into a lot of workplaces I'd never had before. But as a safety person, I always wanted to work every job, work with every, every employee so that I could understand, not totally, but I could understand what they deal with every day. And I always found it interesting that often 
engineering doesn't ask an employee, what would work for you? People that do the job usually have the best ideas. I mean, you may have to hone it a little bit, but they usually have a pretty good idea of what's going to work for them. And if you never asked, if you never walk the floor or walk the construction site, you're not gonna know that. And it, it builds credibility. So, you know, we talk about getting to folks and helping them understand the profession in the high school. I know that I would visit uh, construction classes or university classes, and I would do a pitch for safety. I think we probably need to do more of that is kind of what you're suggesting. How do we get into the high schools? Well, a great question, right? I mean, it's tough. I think, again, you know, at the beginning of this, I talked about, dude, let's not forget we're competing against every other profession. We, we, we have, you know, we have to recognize that. So it's access at those levels, certainly. Um, but I think also it's just that constant reality that others are packaging and marketing their professions too, because they're, they're struggling also. So we just have to be a little out of that. I don't think that's an easy nut to crack. I think that happens very locally. I, you know, I would challenge anybody listening to this, anybody involved in the conference, if you have some involvement at your local high school or know, or have some contacts, um, I guarantee um, that if you can get a contact and get an audience, we can get people. And, uh, you know, certainly Denise and her team would help coordinate that. And, and uh, we could come in and get audience. That. Certainly there are career fairs. Um, I think we do a little, a few more of those at the college level. I've been involved with a number of those over the years. I think it'd be great to get in and talk about it at the high school level. I would love to find some capability and it's a little hard to do um, uh, at the high school level, but do some job mirroring, you know, mm -hmm. even if they could spend a day um, or a couple of days out, you know, I, some of that would be a little restricted, but I, I certainly think that that could be a really neat opportunity um, to get folks to actually experience it a little bit. I mean, I think we have to pull every trick out of the bag. You, you know, again, going back to that thing that I'm going to keep talking about, we're competing against the rest of the world, right? And yep. so we need to find similar types of things for that. I want to pick your brain a little bit from coming from the insurance world. How do you convince an employer that they actually need these people? So like if we were consulting for an individual organization that they right. need to bring somebody on in their organization, no, a great question. And, um, you know, it's, it's again, I think not, not rocket science necessarily. I think you have to talk to them about what the function is. They need to understand it. Like just, we were talking about, you know, what would this person actually do? Um, I, I was talking to you offline a little bit earlier. I, I've had a few positions in my career. They said, we know we need you. We just don't know exactly how to craft your position or whatever. And, you know, and, and I've been fortunate where I said, you know, give me a computer and I'll figure it out um, and, and have had some relative success with that. So I think we have to kind of, you know, have that same conversation. If, if, if insurance companies are coming in, number one is some will just require it. some insurance programs will just say you will have somebody um, and you will have somebody to lead this program and they'll have these qualifications. That's that's a great thing to have. Um, uh, so and then others, you just I think you need to talk to them about the risk that they have. Some early on, obviously, is if they're in a growth organization uh, where they've just gotten started or a few years old, initially on the front side, they just may not really have the capital to invest into it. But I think as they grow, you have to explain to them that uh, that you know this is going to be something that's that's you know very very critical in your growth in the future. We know from an insurance standpoint, losses tend to lag, or the impact of them with experience mods and things like that can lag three to five years. You know the tail on those. So early on, they can be even having some injuries and things like that. And, and because you know insurance is paying for it, don't recognize it, and then all of a sudden they get bombarded. You know, three or four years later, and they're going, "What's going on?" Um, so I think the insurance companies can do a lot for that. I think that insurance agents and brokers. Um, and again, I've had the opportunity to work on that side a little bit too. Um, can do a lot to help convince organizations because 
Uh, sometimes the insurance carrier is a, feels a little more distant, but their insurance agent is like their attorney or their accountant, somebody they're very close and, and very entrusted to. And so, you know, I think educating those folks to know how to have those conversations also. Sounds like we also, have the same problem on both sides. We we have to convince people to go into the profession and we got to convince some companies that they do need these professionals mm -hmm. in their yeah. workforce. So we have a we have an issue there on both sides. We have a problem. Why do you think why do you think retention is such a problem? If it's so rewarding a job and you know you're making a difference, uh, why do you think retention's an issue? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting as I've walked watch some folks that either have grown at a significant level in the profession. Um, you know, I think about a couple of people even on our board that have grown into, you know, very high level executive management positions while there's still some safety or, or risk management functionality within those things, but now in, in, in very, very, you know, high ranking positions. So we kind of graduate them up inside of the profession a little bit. Um, so you still need, you know, foot soldiers, you know, you got to have folks out that are day to day that are out are walking the walking the proverbial floor. The other thing is we get some damn good people in this profession. <laughs> we do. And yeah, we get people that are bright, articulate, well-educated, technically uh, adept, um, have good, solid experience, have decent, um, very, very good, clean work records. And so they're very, very attractive in other professions, right? Again, to that whole work competing, you know, somebody will say, okay, well, that's, you know, the, the, the safety geek, right? Or the, that's just a safety person. I think that's gone away a little bit where people go, that person is is an executive level C-suite kind of person. That person is somebody who can come to my organization and use the experience they have in the safety profession and apply it to other parts of our operation. You know, I would, what I would do in these circumstances personally with my magic wand is to try to keep them engaged still, allow them to grow. People want growth, people, you know, want security. Uh, they want to have a better living. Uh, that's, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with, you know, wanting good compensation for doing what you love that's okay, right? Um, but I think part of it is, can we still keep them engaged and keep them involved? And um, so I, that's, that would be my wish to be able to do that. But I think we leak talent at the top because we, we get developed and build in this profession really, really good people. Uh, a conversation I've had with some other folks about this, environmental seems to be the draw. People would rather go into environmental. I think that fits right in with the, you know, the climate change and the young people's uh, passion. So I don't think they, but so often they expect a safety person to be in environmental health and safety. And I don't think people understand that these are three different distinct disciplines. So that does get confusing, but environmental seems to win out. People really can see that. They can see the difference that they make. So we're competing against that too, I think. Well, you know, I think if you look at the regulatory side, I've never been big on the environmental side of it. I've certainly been a lot more on the safety side of it, but I recognize that I think um, the regulatory environment there is so significant. You know, EPA tells OSHA to mandate standards, right? Um, so organizations immediately go, hey, there's permitting, there's there's all this other stuff that needs to be done. Those are half they have to do that to exist. There's, they can't sneak away or get away for a little while without doing that. So they have to in a lot of those places. And, you know, my humble thought on that, and again, this is just, just I'm not speaking on behalf of the conference or anybody else's, I always get concerned when it gets too much built into that. The environmental piece can be massive sometimes um, in certain organizations. You know, if you're working in an organization that does chemicals or fuels or transport stuff, there is so much there. Then how much do we take away if we don't have an individually named just safety person, 
right? Um, because now that person has got so many things under their hat. And again, what priority would it place in the organization? When things are on fire, literally or, or figuratively, the, you know, the emphasis is going to be put over there naturally, right? So um, I think that's always a little bit of a cautionary tale, whether it's environmental or any other thing that, that may roll into that. Oftentimes, uh, folks handle the insurance programs. You work in an organization, you know, you're helping put together insurance, you're handling claims, you know, you're helping, helping manage those pieces of it. You're doing some operational stuff, right? Maybe doing some HR stuff. Um, and so I, I think the caution always there is, is as your organization grows, if you have those multifaceted roles to make sure that you identify, you know, to have somebody specifically that is, you know, dedicated to that function. Yeah, and the recruitment and retention, we talked about quite a bit, uh, the hiring process itself, when you post for a job, uh, where I worked, we would actually have someone in the position or a like position sit in on a hiring committee which I thought was very helpful because they were able to explain what the job was about. And it really helped us weed out people who really were interested in doing it. So there are ways that we can do a little better with the hiring process. So we don't have somebody come in and then they're overwhelmed and they, they don't stay. So retention also means somebody new trying to keep them engaged. If you're in a position to train, that's great. But mm -hmm. often the kind of applicants we would get we may have one level of expertise, maybe in fire safety or something, but nothing else. So yeah, there were a possibility, but there's a lot more to it than just the one aspect. Yeah, you know, and you've stumbled across something that maybe might be one of the most important points of this podcast, which is your best recruiters are your internal staff and your people that are doing that position, if you have others. Now, if you're hiring your first in an organization or there's just exactly. one position that's different, I can tell you, and you know, and again, in a previous life, one of the things we did is we posted the bios of all of our team on the website, including their phone numbers and emails. And as we were recruiting people, we said, go call them. That's call fantastic. anybody you want. That's and, a great idea right there. Yeah. Like, gosh, if anybody yeah. hears anything on this podcast, that is an excellent idea. Yeah, and say, talk to them. And, you know, we told our people, I said, I'm not giving you a script to read from. I'm not anything else. Somebody calls you, you tell them what you think and tell them what you like and what you don't like. Let them understand what they're getting into. Um, you know, I, I was never concerned about like having somebody disgruntled that would, you know, because I people like that just you probably wouldn't be there a long time anyway. But I just never really had a concern about that. And truthfully, if they called seven people on the team, I had a few who did that. They called seven or 10 people. Wow. Um, and if seven or 10 of them are disgruntled, then there's a way bigger issue anyway, right? Um, but more often than not, at least they're going to give them a good objective. You know, I'm, it, you know, I'm trying to sell people and coming to work for right? Just like somebody's trying to sell themselves to come work for me. Well, if they're talking to somebody who doesn't have that skin in the game, they're just a, a, a you know, a parallel person that's going to work in there, that takes that piece away from it. And um, I, you know, I can't say enough about that. I would say it extends beyond even like in the situations we've talked about, like your background and my background, where there's other multiple people in those positions. But I would say as a profession, we can do that. You know, somebody, if we know of an organization that is going to be hiring maybe their first ever safety person, have them call a few people from the Michigan Safety Conference. Again, simple call Great. to Denise and she'll line up 10 names. Tell them about the profession. Hey, some, somebody wants to hire me in to be a safety director here at this company or they want to promote me into this and groom me up for this position. Um, yeah, give us a call. You know, we'll gladly have those conversations. Yeah, we had the student chapter at the conference and one of the meetings I went to, we actually sat in a round table and just kind of told the people what we did. We all came from different backgrounds and it was interesting. They asked us questions about what we did. 
I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball. It seems that there's still a problem with diversity in the safety profession. I go to the safety conference, thousands of people and mostly male and mostly mm -hmm. white. So how do we, I think there's a whole untapped market out there of young people that would be very interested in this. So we need yeah, to you know, our reach. Outstanding topic to talk about. It's top, it's a conversation we need to have, right? Yeah. And um, and again, let's let's look again back to our theme for today, which is we're competing against the rest of the world, right? And um, so we number one, we need that talent. We need diversity in in all the types of probably commonly understood diversities, but diversity of thought. We we need to have other folks coming in this profession that see things from a different vantage point, whether it's from their personal life or their experience or even their work life and their experience. So there are ways to do that. You know, I, it's not, this is, um, this is not a nut that we're going to crack overnight. This is a process. This is a game of inches, right? But we have to do it and we have to work on it. And I've been privileged to be involved with this in a few organizations. I belong to, I feel incredibly strongly about this. Um, so, you know, some things that I've been able to work on in the past is going to like historically a uh, black colleges to do recruiting, um, things of that nature, incredibly proud of, um, you know, again, a position I had held for a long time leadership role that I had held for, you know, a decade or so, uh, came in where uh, it was very much where you described it right there. And, you know, when I left, there was a lot more diversity in there. We had um, a lot more minorities that were part of uh, the group. We also had a much higher number of females in there. Um, also seeing in a lot of these roles, and again, I can speak from personal experience, where our successors then are now um, either female or potentially from a diverse group. So um, that's, you know, it can be a delicate conversation, certainly. Um, but I think it's one that we all need to consciously have. And as I sit, sit here as being the, you know, the little bit of hair I have left that's gray and, and, and being a white male, interestingly, I think we need to lead these conversations, folks that look like me. Yes. Yeah, it, we do, because um, I, I think that sometimes many folks don't accept, you know, expect necessarily for it to come from there. But I, I really think we do. I think that we can add a perspective also. And I can tell you that I believe over my career that it has been limiting in my growth and in, in, in my ability to do, do my job. I mean, if, if we're out trying to protect people and the mosaic of the people that we're trying to protect isn't the same as the profession that we are in, Again, how, how do we get there? I, there's going to be a gap. So, um, you know, I, we're doing better. You know, I, I truly believe that we are doing better. I believe that we have a very, the, the windshield is much bigger than the rearview mirror, right? We've got a lot of work to do. There you go. And, and I'm excited about it. I enjoy doing that. Um, I think a lot of people in our profession enjoy getting engaged with that and are passionate about that. Um, and I, so I think that we've got a lot of opportunity for that. But it's, again, it's, we can't take our foot off the gas pedal. We've I've really never seen it. a safety professional that's not passionate about what they do. So yeah. we're yeah. going to kind of wrap this up. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for me? Well, no, I, you know, I really certainly appreciate the opportunity um, to, to speak on this topic. Again, it's something that I'm, I'm very, very passionate about. I've, again, had the opportunity to even speak at a couple of national conferences on this topic. And I think it's a good ongoing conversation. I'm glad we had a conversation today. I, even when I've um, presented on this, I've tried to make it much more of a dialogue because I think you just learn a lot more. You know, I would look forward to us, you know, doing panel discussions about this in the future at the conference. I would, 
uh, you know, I, I keep alluding back to that because I think we have a good central point, a clearinghouse with the Michigan Safety Conference to lead these conversations. I, I think we're in a position that we need and, and you know, we have an ultimate um, responsibility to lead these conversations on this. Um, and we just, but we've got, got so much talent and so many people that can talk good about this profession and, and get out to the diverse groups and just get out um, to a generation that I think is hungry to look for something that's like, wow, this, I'm talking to somebody who's done this for 30 or 40 years and is still excited when they get up in the morning about their work. Very good. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're wow. on the panel. We're going to have this panel. <laughs> you're on it, Mike. So there you go. That's right. That's right. Okay. Congratulations. Right. <laughs> so the challenge remains promoting, networking, building interest, and offering the support needed to retain qualified employees is an ongoing challenge to think out of the box when it comes to finding and retaining great employees. So thank you, Mike. You can contact him at Michael Eckert at Comcast.net. If you'd like more information about the conference or register for the conference, we're open for our April conference. You can reach us at Mich, M-I-C-H, safetyconference.org. Thank you for listening to Safety Spectrum. This is Sheila Ide.